Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You know, I continue week to week for my journey around the globe to find heart-centered leaders and they're dropping out of the sky now. They're coming at all angles. It's just allows me to, to pause in gratitude for how many amazing men and women that I'm meeting around the globe who deem themselves a leader, but even more so through their behavior and their heart. So let me tell you about an amazing heart-centered leader that has crossed paths with me. I'm going to introduce you to Diana Kutaya. She has founded Coaching Peace, love that name, in 2012. But really, her work started in this realm, I'm going to say, 20 years earlier. Her clients today range from school districts to national organizations to global companies. And her focus is Coaching Peace. And in Coaching Peace, she creates a positive and safe culture that empowers its members to lead with empathy and understanding. I couldn't think of a better person to have on the show. So Diana, I'm so happy to have you here today. Welcome. Deb, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this. Um, I'm so excited to have our conversation today. Um, it's just listening to some of your previous podcasts and guests. I feel like I, I found a, a wonderful community. It's a wonderful community and, you know, no pun intended, just a wee bit of heart going on here. You are in good company, my friend. Right, right. Absolutely. Okay. My first leadership question, without a shadow of a doubt, I love the name of your company, Coaching Peace. Talk about an oxymoron because most people want to say, well, why aren't you coaching conflict and I know there's a backstory to why you chose the name you did. So please share with our listeners, because I know your work started two decades ago from before 2012. So tell us where the name Coaching Peace comes from and what it means to you. Thank you so much for asking. I appreciate it. You know, for me, this started 20 years ago. My career was in coaching and I remember and I mean athletic coaching, so sport coaching. I remember sitting in a gym and watching a fifth grade girls basketball game and listening to the language, the language of the coaches, the language of the parents, the language of the fans and language like opponent, crush, defeat, attack. You know, in the United States, we had just invaded Afghanistan. It felt like nobody was talking about that. And there was this desensitization to it in some ways. And I was listening to that game and I thought, of course, we're desensitized to it because we're coaching it. We're coaching conflict. We look at everything adversarial. And I thought in order to make something a reality, there has to be intentionality around it. We have to actually put effort, focus and intention around that. 
And I wanted to do that. I didn't quite know what that would look like, but I wanted to really explore it and happened to start my master's degree a couple of years later. And I thought, well, I'm going to do this for my master's thesis. And I did it. It kind of sat on the shelf for many years until I came back um, and realized like, this is what I want to do. This is actually, I want to be out there on a coach piece. I just paused there for a minute because when we hear the word peace for me as an executive coach like you, I'm a yoga teacher. It just makes me stop, take a breath and go, okay. It's what I like to call intentional reflection. And I love the way you've spun conflict and the languaging that you sat and observed during your sport coaching. It's to me, I'm always taken back with people's stories on the show. Sometimes we don't see what's right in front of our face till years later. Thank goodness you took that thesis off the shelf and put it into practice. I know. And, and what changes we've made and, and have had over the years in the process of that has been fascinating. It's been a learning journey for myself, as well as you know the clients that I work with. It's an amazing niche that you've tapped into, wrapped your heart around, and now look what you're doing globally. It's magnificent. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Okay, second question. You've listened to me on previous podcast. Question that is near and dear to my heart. The name of the podcast, permanent residency on the show. What imperfections does Diana bring to her heart-centered leadership? I I don't struggle by any means with being able to be heart-centered with others. I've learned over the years to be far more open and vulnerable with others. I do not subscribe to the idea that there is perfection in any ways. So the imperfection for me just feels like being human. But for this, I think finding ways to show myself that same heart-centered kind of values and kindness at times, I think is the thing that, that I'm always you know, searching for and struggling in. It's a practice. It's not an outcome. So how I am continuing to do that practice helps me inform others on how to do that and learn from others as well and and how they do. You know, I come from the medical rehab world and you're so right. We frame the languaging of that practice as our activities of daily living. You know, for me, it falls into some of my heart-centered leadership qualities that I talk about. And the mood one is, what do you mean the ability to fail forward? That's humbling. That's an activity of daily living. That's okay, hey, I showed up, I started, I tried, I failed, I sucked. (laughs) I'm going to laugh itself and I'm going to try plan B. And it's so funny that leaders are finally realizing this has place in their arsenal. Absolutely. I mean, I always say that failure is the only honest feedback that we'll ever get. It is the greatest tool that we have to be able to be our best selves. It gives us all the information that we need So I really embrace it. It's a great tool. You know, anytime I get an opportunity to mentor someone younger than myself, I always put that as one of my top three things. When they say, what can I learn or what can I expect? Expect to fail. Commit to fail because it's going to be inevitable. And join me on the intangible reality highway because there is no perfection. It's, you know, we always talk about the best weight loss is losing that of other people's opinions. 
And it saddens me that many people don't get there till middle age. So I'm hoping our up and coming generations get on that diet quicker than I did. And our life experiences, there's so many different areas of our life that contribute to that. But it's what you said, we have to be evolving human beings. We're not our title. We're not our business. We're not a stature. We're not roles and responsibilities. We're people and we're people with heart. And it's so fun at the end of the day. And it leads nice into my next question. It's funny how all these serendipitous moments happen on this show. You, you've worked in so many different sectors and we know it as executive coaches and we both speak English, but we know within different sectors, the leadership language can vary and be a little different given the companies or organizations, mission statement and values, et cetera. Share with us a story or an aha moment of where you really felt your coaching practice of coaching peace kind of found like the intersectionality of, okay, I'm looking at all these different sectors. Here's where I connect. We use juggling in a variety of different ways as a way of kind of having a visceral experience that helps folks really understand some of the concepts that we talk about. And I remember doing a workshop for high school football coaches. We were starting our juggling activity and one football coach who had been there about 35 years, he had been in his position at one point kind of like threw the balls down and looked at me and said, this is expletive, you know, and he said, I'm not going to do this. And he's like, but I'm required to be here. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait until the end. He sat there and he kind of mocked his other teammates in various ways and nothing that I needed to intervene. Like people were laughing, you know, he's like, oh, you can't do that or this. And then everybody was done and everybody seemed to have a good time. And we sat down and I said, so what did you gain from that activity? And another coach said, I realized that when I am frustrated, I act out in certain ways. I can see that in other folks when they feel like they don't have the skills they need at times and the resources, they act out. And we look at that as a behavior we have to manage as opposed to how can we support them and help them and give them space. I thought that was so beautiful. And this other coach who who had not been part of the activity looked at me and he raised his hand. And I thought, I kind of got my armor up because I thought, oof, what's going to happen? You know, and I smiled and he said, that's what I did. That's exactly what I did. I was embarrassed that I couldn't do this. And I felt like I wasn't going to be successful. So instead, I made this your fault. I made this activity something that I shouldn't do. He's like, and now I realize when I make my kids run because, you know, they're struggling with learning something, I'm actually not helping them. I'm not looking at them as people. I've had so many small moments like that with people where all of a sudden they recognize it is not about the output. It's not about the outcome. It's not about the product. It's about the process and it's about the person. And if we lead through understanding that we are interconnected as people, my success is tied to yours. My struggle is tied to yours. How do we understand each other and how connected we are? Then we actually do a better job supporting each other and creating a community of care. 
Well, and it's it's like you said at the beginning of the interview, and it was really lovely to hear. This is a community pulling heart-centered leaders together to talk and, and the commonality of these beautiful discussions that I get to have with people like you. And those aha moments, even in the beautiful story you just shared, I think that's courageous. I think it's vulnerable. I think it allows somebody to wear their heart on their sleeve and, and, you know, be transparent. And I think there's generational value for some people in their leadership. So just a lot to unpack there. And I, I really thank you for sharing that. And that must've been such a meaningful moment for you as a coach. You know, I think we have so many um, opportunities and we don't sometimes reflect on them. But there have been many times in my career when I have sat back and not felt pride by any means in that. Not that pride is is a bad thing to feel in any sense, but have felt like, oh, we're going to be okay. And I think that's what we're all kind of striving for. Um, We're going to be okay. And I seek those moments out as as small as they are to be like, "Mm, yep, there it is. We're going to be okay. And I think so often we're looking for the moments that that validate a narrative that we're not okay. Um, And I don't want to ignore those those issues by any means and acknowledge them. But I also want to to be fueled by those smaller moments that say, yep, we're going to be okay." And I love that about you. And again, you always lead into my next question. It's wonderful. You have done a lot of presentations and keynote speaking to different colleges uh, across the globe. And I know one of the topics near and dear to your heart is diversity and gender equity. I would love to hear when you decided to put that in your toolkit for services. How long have you been presenting and speaking on the topic? And do you feel you've made an imprint? Well, that's uh, how much time do we have on this? <laughs> that's it. Um, when I was 19 years old, I was given access and information about this organization called the Women's Sports Foundation um, here in the U.S. And the Women's Sports Foundation was at the time and, and may still today in many ways be one of the leading advocacy groups um, for women in sport. And I started to really understand and learn Title IX, that kind of Title IX drives gender equity within the U.S., and begin to be an advocate for that and see how that space. Now, obviously, that directly impacted my life. I was a coach. I could see every single day. And I started coaching when I was 19. I got my first head coaching job in college when I was 23. So I was young um, and I knew nothing, although I think back then I thought I knew everything. Pretty, I'm pretty sure back then I thought every year I've realized I know less and less. And I really felt like it was important for me to be a strong advocate. I think when you are part of a group that is marginalized and or oppressed, that's women in sport, people of color, LGBT, you have to be an advocate, whether you want to or not, um, which is the the unfortunate part of that. Um, And you are pushed into that role because it directly impacts how you live, which is why allyship is so important. And it's so valuable for us to build communities that push, even when, you know, we are addressing systems, inequitable systems, 
that may not be in, inequitable to us, it is our responsibility to still push for equity in those systems. Um, and that is we are all connected in some way. And I think that is why I do the work that I do every single day, whether it is through allyship or it is through advocacy or education, what, whatever the, the role may be. I think it is absolutely valuable to do that. And we, we are social animals. You know, as human beings, we rely on each other. We connect with each other. We impact each other. And I think sometimes we don't see that. We live in these silos and we don't see how our actions so gravely impact each other in very positive and very negative ways. That's a great answer. I um, And I hope you continue to speak and and coach and there's already two guests that have been on the show that I'm, I'm going to introduce you to uh, afterwards. It's the other joy of, of having this podcast and hosting it is I feel like I'm globally connecting so many amazing people together. So stay tuned for that. I'll chat to you about that offline. Okay, I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just four fun questions. I love to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. First question, tell us something that we don't know about you. Well, I think one thing that you don't know uh, is that I have been an entrepreneur at heart since I was very young and always wanted to, to the point where um, a good friend of mine, uh, Vicki and I, when we were in the fourth grade, used to charge um, anywhere between 10 cents and 25 cents for us to write your name in bubble letters on a piece of paper, and then we would sell it to you. I don't quite know why that was a uh, in the 70s, that were early 80s, that was marketable, but it was. Um, and then my my first foray into the, uh, the entrepreneurial world is I sold encyclopedias. Um, and I, uh, I worked really hard at it. And I sold one to myself. That was, <laughs> that's where I was. Hey, and look, and look at where that beautiful journey has led you to today. That's awesome. Second question, share with us a book that really became an heirloom memory for you that really left uh, uh, a momentum or you've engraved on your heart. Like it was just a life changing book, whether it's a personal book or a book you read for business, which is the book that comes to your mind first? I believe it was seventh grade, um, but it may have been after that. Um, you get to my age and sometimes you forget. I remember I got a book in the summer and it was Manchild in the Promised Land. I believe the author was Claude Brown. Could be mistaken on that. But that book really resonated with me a lot. It was the experience of a young boy of color. And it was so vastly different than my experience in life. And... I felt really informed and connected in a way um, to the book, but also felt like I was so not informed and so not connected. And I always wanted to understand better. And I wanted the the book just always resonated with me um, and really put me on a journey to kind of do my own work around understanding my own bias, understanding my own context in the world um, and how important that was. But that's been a book that's resonated with me for 20, 30 years. Yeah, I I can tell. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, I'm going to grant you one wish. What wish would you like to see 
in the world to change if I give you that wish and, and grant it to you? You know, uh, with a name like Coaching Peace, you'd think I'd say peace, but I, I actually am going to say that I wish that we could find more grace for each other and with each other. And when I say grace, I mean it in the sense of understanding and listening to each other in a way where we try to understand, you know, we are so often so quick to judge or assume that I just want people to take space for a second and say, hold on, what might you you be experiencing? What is happening for you? How can I give you the grace in this space to just show up as you are and for me to take a breath for a minute? Um, And I think that's the thing that I would love for us to be able to do is to not go, you know, so quick to judgment, to not make all of those assumptions right away. Um, And to really just assume that everybody's bringing their best self, the best they possibly can in that moment. Yeah, that's beautiful. I always like that old cliche. And I've, I've seen a lot of memes this year where, you know, if we could just meet ourselves where we're at with what we have, especially now with the times that we're in, I think everybody's trying to do the best that they can. And uh, the world is still very unprecedented. There's there's no ifs, ands or uh, buts about that. Now, my last question I'm going to ask, but before I do, I just want to say I have really enjoyed meeting you. I I so look forward to continued conversations. I think you get a couple of executive coaches together and and we can banter for hours over over a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And, you know, I, I say this a lot. There's a lot of coaches out there, but there's still not enough of us. The world's a really big place. So I'm I'm happy to share this space with you. And, and I love the work that you're doing. And thank you for sharing your heart with me today. Well, likewise, likewise, I appreciate the the fact that you, you know, elevate the voices of of kindness and care and love. I think that's really important. It's the only way, my friend. It's the only way. Okay, you're going to close out the show by answering my last question. And I would like you to finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? The most important thing that we can do in any form of, of leadership. I think heart-centered leadership is is valuable, is needed, is it's what we sh- we should strive to to be every day. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.